or you can uh, give on your phones. Good morning, good morning again. It's me again. I'm back. I forgot my Bible over there. I'm going to... Come with me. I'm going to go get my Bible. Come on, let's go. That was a Mr. Rogers moment right there, wasn't it? We're going to the land of make-believe. Well, I'm excited to jump into our fourth iteration of our series, Rhythm, Rhythms. And uh, I'm, I, I have... I joke about this so that, you know, I say that, oh, I've really actually enjoyed this series. I really have enjoyed this series. I think it's been a very practical series um, in the application of what it looks like in a life of a believer, what the rhythms should look like. Um, the definition of rhythm, for those of us that don't know, and actually I realize now that we're four weeks in, I haven't actually defined what rhythm means. A rhythm is a strong, regular, recurring sequence of events, actions, movements, or sounds. Regular recurring. Um, our, our worship team several years ago switched over to using what's called a click track to keep time. And I got to tell you, up until that point, I had never used one and I never realized how poor my rhythm really was. When you have something actually giving you a rigid time that you have to keep, I was like, this is a nightmare. I, 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 it, was, it was really difficult. And on the musical side, I've seen some people that have really great rhythm. And I've also seen people that really struggle with a really great rhythm. Uh, being up here, I get a great view of people that are like, okay, time to clap. Here we go, you know. Oh, no, I missed it that time. You know, it's, or they clap on the downbeat or the upbeat or wherever they feel like, you know. And I just appreciate that we're making joyful noises to the Lord myself. But uh, I've seen the struggle. It's real with some. But we need to develop rhythms, these regular recurring sequence of events, actions, or movements within our lives that, that are markers of what a believer, uh, in a believer's life. So um, there are really important rhythms that we do need to get right and actually implement and put into practice in our lives. And rhythms are a created habit. They're not something that just happen on accident. Habits aren't something you just accidentally stumble upon. Whoa, I've really developed a good habit. Now, bad habits, yes. But good habits are intentional. You you have to be intentional about it. There's something that's fostered. Um, But too often, I feel that we're inspired by really good ideas without actually moving from concept to life application as rhythm. We hear really good ideas, but then we just end up with bumper sticker theology and we, we, we go, oh, this is really good. I'm going to write that down. That'll, that'll look good on a sticker. Or that'll, that'll just, you know, really resonate with me. And, and it's a great concept, but we don't actually take the effort to move it into life application rhythm, putting the rubber to the road. It's like no athlete at the top of their craft got there by just reading really inspirational shirts at the gym. Or by re- reading really inspirational quotes on, on, uh, on Etsy or something like that, where they're like, oh, wow, impossible is just a word. That means so much to me. Oh, yeah, it gets me pumped up. But they actually have to go and grind. They have to go and, and, and they have to actually, the commitment has to last beyond the inspiration. 
And when we develop rhythms in our life, it has to move beyond just the inspiration that, oh, that's a good word or that's a really great quippy quote, but actually get to the to the grind, the application of this is going to actually play out in my life. And here's how. And so um, there's it's important we understand that. So I wanted to take just a brief moment and look back at what we've talked about in the first week of rhythms. We talked about uh, establishing priorities, especially in regards to time, because time is really important because it's a closed source system. That means it's finite. You can't go out and find more time or create more time. No matter how hard you work, you can't do it. You can't add time. That's what makes it so precious. No, nothing you can do can create more of it. You and I have the same amount of time allotted in a week, uh, allotted in a week as Jeff Bezos. You and I have the same amount of time allotted in a week as Elon Musk. We have the same amount of time allotted in our week as any of those people on Shark Tank. We all have, and they're, they're leading huge corporations and many of them, right? And we, we have the same amount of time to work with. That's something that they can't, with their wealth, create more of. Um, we can't say, well, you know, my schedule is unique in this way. None of us are the exception. None of us are the exception. Nothing can go onto our calendar without going through us first. We have the ability, everyone, we have the ability to control what goes on our calendar. Everybody say, I am in charge of my calendar. Say it with conviction. I am in charge of my calendar. We have the ability to say yes. We have the ability just as well to say no. It's about saying yes to the right things and discovering what matters most. Doing that first and then going from there. You see, we're never going to make time for the most important things. Or no, we're never going to find time for the most important things. We make time for the most important things. We make time for the most important things. So that's why we talked about, we, we define what's most important. Remember this? I don't know if you remember this from our first week. We define what is most important. We need to identify it. Then we need to protect what's most important. And then we need to actually act on it. Right? We can label it. We can protect it. But until we actually act on it, it doesn't mean anything. Then a couple weeks ago, we preached on rest. We preached on Sabbath. And I've, it's been interesting. I've gotten some messages from people, text messages, different conversations where people have talked about rest in their life and the, the coming to the realization of how am I resting and Sabbath. And we talked about work. And so we talked about the importance of work and the importance of rest. And uh, some people in here, they're morning people. You spring out of bed like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed no matter what time. Just, boing, oh, let's go. I don't understand that. I can get going in the morning, like I'm actually most productive in the morning, but that first like few minutes of getting out of bed is a struggle, and the struggle is real. Um, some of us are late night people. I also don't get you. You're like, nine o'clock, the evening's just begun. I don't, I don't get that either. I, I, just, I don't know. So some people are early birds, some people are night owls. Some of us would just say, I'm just some sort of permanently exhausted pigeon. I don't know what. I, but... Your rhythm may be one of those two, but it's important we understand it can't be both. It can't be both. Psalm 127 actually talks about this. It says, it is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. That means you're working, you're, er, you're up early in the morning, you're up late at night. It says you're going to eat the bread of sorrows. And I don't know what the bread of sorrows is. I was laughing with, uh, with, with uh, Pastor Charity and Scott this week. We, they were at our house. I was like telling them about this verse. I was like, I don't know what the bread of sorrows is exactly. I think it may be gluten-free bread or something. It's like raisin bread or something like that. 
But we are meant to have rhythms of rest. And we're supposed to have rhythms then of work and to balance those. We don't want the bread of sorrows. We want the bagels of blessing in our life, right? <laughs> and so, so we, we've walked through these different rhythms. And so today I've entitled my message, Family Ties. We're going to start talking, we're going to talk a little bit today about family rhythms. Family rhythms. And uh, this is a, a complex topic. To be honest, it's going to be kind of scattered a lot because... <laughs> Families are unique. Families are different. No, no two families look alike. Um, but it's important that we establish rhythms within family. Have you ever been at a baseball game and you've heard this? Some of you got that right away and you echoed it back. I didn't know if that was going to work if people just stare at me. But uh, you've been there or you heard the... Johnny, you're a big boy, make a nice man. It's funny because at the game, they don't have someone come out there and go, okay, everybody, we're going to do this at this time. Okay, follow me. They play that on the speakers and everybody like zombies is like, the whole crowd together at once, right? Everybody together at once because rhythms, rhythms are modeled and then they're mimicked. And so in a family... The rhythms that you set and the rhythms that you model will be mimicked. Family is a place in which values and rhythms are instilled and grow. And so, like I said, each one of us um, has maybe something different that comes to our minds when I mention the word family. For some of us, we think of dinners and birthday parties and holidays and graduations and weddings. And, and you think of love and intimacy and laughter. It brings a lot of good memories to your mind. For some of us in this room, none of that comes to mind. You think of pain, of absence, of conflict. See, it's, it's difficult to speak specifically as families are so unique. We have different backgrounds, different shapes and sizes of families. For some of you, a family reunion would require renting out Epcot Center. It's just you have a massive family. For some of us, family is very small. It's very intimate. When you go home and have uh, a microwave dinner, that's a family reunion right there. I don't know. There's different sizes of families. There's different dynamics of families, all kinds of different things. But no matter what family you live in, these Other rhythms that we just talked about, we talked about setting priorities, we talked about rest, we talked about work, are so important that they be exemplified and modeled and played out in our lives. But today we're going to be reading in the book of Ephesians. I've been reading a lot of Paul lately in our our messages, but um, Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to open your Bibles there, it lays out a pattern for how families should look, and that all under Christ as well. This is going to be a lengthy section of scripture, so bear with me. But we never complain about getting to read the Bible. So let's, let's read together here, starting in verse 21. Paul says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this 
to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration to the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Moving on to chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We'll end there. So, this was a lengthy section of scripture, but we're going to kind of summarize a lot of, a lot of it here. First of all, we can see that within a family structure, there is to be an order of submission. Paul lays out an order of submission. He says in families, there, I mean, I should say, I see in families often a turbulence that's going on. There's a wrestle, a tug of war over who is actually steering this ship. Who's, who's determining where we're going as a family? There's a battle for control. There's a battle for influence. And, and here's what Paul lays out then. He begins by saying, everyone first and foremost needs to submit to one another, one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the, the baseline. We submit to one another. We, we give deference to each other. This is universal. No matter who it is, we are to, to try to, to serve one another in any way possible. So that's the, the opening volley that, that Paul puts out there, that there's supposed to be submission to one another. And we're going to circle back around to this, but the entirety of what we're talking about can really be summarized in that verse, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, giving deference to each other. Ultimately, though, submitting to Christ as the center of everything. So, so Paul begins this segment then after that by expressing, he says, For wives this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. Here's the bottom line. Husbands are called to lead from the front. This isn't about lording power over our spouse. This isn't about being the shot caller and and you're like, I'm the man now. But rather, he goes on to say, husbands are called to love and serve their wives just as Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church to the point of laying down his own life for the church. So we are to serve our wives in a way, the same way that Christ modeled his love for the church. He gave up his very life for the church. And so husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I think Paul knew knew what he was talking about there. He's like, these guys love good food. They like to just relax. They like to take care of themselves. So let's say, take care of your wife just as though you were taking care of yourself. Honor her in the same way you would honor yourself. Respect her in all these ways. As you lead, you're to lead humbly in this way. And, and so he, he, he calls the husband as the head of the household. He says, you are to lead your family. But this is an incredibly weighty responsibility. It's not just like getting to be team captain and you get to wear a cool patch on your shirt and that's it. But, but it's a charge that Paul gives that's weighty. In each of the relationships Paul mentions following that, 
as either a husband or as a father, he actually goes back and specifically calls out to fathers a higher level of expectation because of their station in the family. He goes back, so he'll talk to the wives, or then he'll talk to the children, but then he'll go back to fathers and say, fathers, do you hear that? Here's the expectation of you then. So there's a higher level of expectation of fathers. Fathers are actually called to a higher level. There's a, a weight that, that, that sits upon us as men that we need to actually recognize. There was a study done by the SBC Research Division. And they did a, a poll and a survey. And they found that if, a child is in, if, that if a child is the first one in a family to come to know Jesus as their Savior, a child, that there is a 3.7% probability that the rest of the family will become Christians. So if there's a child in a family and they become a follower of Jesus, there's a 3.7% chance that the rest of the family will follow. If the mom in a family is the first believer, there is a 17% probability that the rest of the family will follow. But if a dad is the first in a family to become a Christian, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the family will follow. 93%. Let me just say this first of all. Kids... If you are the only follower of Jesus, Jesus in your family, don't give up. Pray for your families. Love your families. Serve your families. Be Christ to your families. Wives, don't give up on your husbands. If you are the follower of Jesus in your family, continue to believe that God will bring them to salvation. Be, continue to believe and pray. But here's what I need to tell you, husbands and fathers. It is our responsibility to take the spiritual lead. There is a precedent that's set when men step forward and say, I'm going to lead this family spiritually. When they step forward and say, I'm going to set the the tone, I'm going to set the tempo and the cadence for this family. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what size paycheck you bring home. It doesn't matter how much you can bench press. It doesn't matter if the coach would have put you in uh, in 1996 and you would have won state. You're sure of it. It doesn't matter any of those things. If you are not taking the lead and setting the spiritual cadence in your household, you're missing the mark as a husband and a father. Being a provider isn't enough. We are called to be the, the, the banner carrier for, for spiritual leadership in our homes. Husbands and fathers are called to lead from the front. Now let me also address this. Submission then does not mean a lack of opinion. Submission doesn't mean it's a lack of opinion or a lack of influence. As a matter of fact, submission in its definition means it's a conscious yielding of one's prerogative, of your own act of the will to say, I am willing myself to give deference to you. So it's not saying you don't have power. It's not saying that you don't have opinion on all these things, but rather it's a willing, uh, uh, giving someone that, that place of authority. It's saying, I am going to step back so that you can step forward. And so I, w- I want us to understand that as well. But can I just say that as individuals that do have those wills and opinions, This will shock you. There are times that there will be conflict. There are times in a household there could be conflict. Um, This this could be a a marital dispute. This could be a conflict between parents. It could be uh, sibling spats. It could be any different direction within a family. Um, The Charles Dickens famous quote, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, comes to mind. We we, we laugh together, we, we have fun together, and man, families know how to fight real good, don't they? They know everybody's buttons. You live with them. You know exactly what it's going to take to just push them over the edge. Um, don't pretend. Let me. Don't pretend that your family's like you know, harmonious all the time and nothing ever goes wrong. I. Come on. There are times you're like this family is a train wreck. Come on. 
I nearly named this message Instafam because we have the family that we put out there for the world to see, right? Not my family. Everything you see on Instagram is exactly how it is all the time. But for everyone else, there's like the, the, the face we put forward for everyone. And then there's how the sausage is actually made. It's a little less glamorous behind the scenes. It's a little, it's a little more real. No one posts the family kerfuffle on their social media. Family consists of people. And people fight. Conflict is inevitable. I, I would say this. If I was doing marriage counseling with you and you were to say, Oh, you know what? We have such a great relationship. We have never even fought. I'd be like, get out of here. Go on. Get out of here. Conflict is a natural part of relationship. Conflict is inevitable. But let me tell you this also. It's not always unhealthy. Conflict actually can mean the issues are being addressed that need to be addressed. Sometimes you need conflict and we need to stop putting things under the rug. Conflict means that there's conversation going on perhaps. Maybe it means that someone actually has the power to speak. It means that someone actually has that that place and a a grievance is being uh, addressed. But let me tell you this, protracted conflict that goes unresolved is unhealthy. See, the grievances need to be addressed and they need to be addressed quickly. We can't allow it to fester. We can't give it the silent treatment for long periods of time. A few verses before what we just read in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, he says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Do not let the sun go down While you are still angry. See, allowing anger to go unaddressed is like, it's like a simmering pot left on the stove. For me, it's when I'm making mac and cheese and it's boiling just fine. And then I add the mac and cheese and it's still boiling just fine. And I walk away and I come back and it is like one of those science experiments that kids do in fifth grade with the volcano, you know. There's just spaghetti and bubbles everywhere. We, we, we think, I'm just going to let it simmer, but before you know it, it's boiling over, and before you know it, there's this unattended or, or, or unaddressed uh, matter has suddenly come, come boiling over in fits of jealousy and rage and resentment and bitterness. And, and, and Paul is warning this because he says you need to address the issues immediately to keep it from moving on to being sin. Because it's very clear the Bible tells us that in our anger, do not sin. It, does, it doesn't say when you, when you are angry, you are sinning. It says in your anger, do not sin. So there's times that we need to take into account. <laughs> Is this really worth going to war over? Is this an offense that's really worth taking to the mats? Is this a situation in which... I need to die on this hill. We are going World War III right now, and I'm going to hold on to this. It's amazing when you think back to the fights that you've had over how a pot is supposed to be cleaned or how a certain thing is supposed to be done in a family, and, and it can turn into something so big. Can I tell you that there are times to just let it go? Let it go. Just turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Okay. All right. But seriously, don't fight to win. Fight for love. Fight for unity. 
Fight for one another. Fight to honor and give deference to the other. James 1.20 says, The wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. See, Jesus, yes, he got angry. We like to make reference to that. Well, you know, getting angry is not a sin. Jesus got angry. What did he get angry for? For the righteousness of God. For the holiness of God's house. And so we need to make sure that we understand we're getting angry for the right reasons. The, the, the things that cause us to get upset are because we're, we're, we're needing to defend someone. We're needing to honor someone. We're needing to, to bring unity. And so we need to make sure we choose the right conflicts. Now, you might come from a family where anger and conflict was actually the norm. If things were calm, you're like, what's wrong? And you might have come from a place where there was dysfunction that was the norm. Can I tell you something? That dysfunction is not your destiny. That you don't have to continue that cycle of dysfunction. You can actually break that cycle. I know stories of people in this very church, many stories, who have created new legacies for their families. Who have set new precedents and said, this is going to be the new cadence that we walk to. This is the rhythm that we are going to see in our family. Honoring one another. Making allowances for one another. This is what Paul is talking about. Moving on then, he says in verse 31. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So unity is between the husband and the wife. It's a commitment to one another and he calls it a profound mystery, how they become one, one flesh. Let me tell you this, after your relationship with Christ, the relationship you have with your spouse should be the strongest relationship in your household. So often, though, I see children take the place of prominence and priority in the home that they were not intended to occupy. I'm not saying that kids don't matter. Don't get me wrong. We let our kids out of the closet, what, at least twice a week? To, at least. I'm not saying that kids don't matter. Please don't misunderstand me. But so often I see mom and dad ceasing to be husband and wife cleaving to one another and focus all of their energy into being mom and dad. And as the plates are spinning and all the priorities are going on, everything is into junior needs to go to practice. Junior has this project. We need to go over here and we're doing this. And and all of the energy, all of the love, all of the attention is going into the kids. And then what happens is the relationship of intimacy between mom and dad, between husband and wife begins to crumble. And it's supported wholly on the relationship with the children. For one, that puts a weight on your children they should not have to bear. And the children are the focus and the children are the energy. And the problem is there's something that that messes up this rhythm of biblical submission that, that Paul's talking about. Because he starts with saying, we submit to Christ. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands serve your wives. And then he goes on to children. There's a reason there's this order. And so he, he talks about this, this flow and this order of biblical subscription and, and, and this, if we get the cart before the horse, it turns everything upside down. It's like a pyramid standing on its point. You see, as I submit myself to Christ and make Christ, if I make Jesus the center of everything in my universe, I serve him with every portion of my being, as Jesus said, with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, every part of me. There is no possible way I can't love Hosanna with every last bit of my being. I love her because of my love for Christ. It informs that love for my wife. I could not cheat on Hosanna. I could not do anything that would dishonor Hosanna because I love Jesus with every portion of my being. In the same way, this trickle down goes to our children. How could I not love my children with every last bit of me if I love their mother with every portion of who I am? 
And so there's this flow that happens. But how often do we see everything flipped upside down and we see, oh, it's about the kids and oh, little, little Jimmy needs this and and we pour into the children and then, and then we try to kind of support our spouse and we'll go spend time with Jesus if we get to it. And the whole thing is flipped upside down and the cart gets before the horse and marriages disintegrate. And families break apart. People have asked me about my priorities in, in ministry. And sometimes I won't go to every event and they're like, why didn't you come to this specific event? My family actually comes before my ministry. And, and it's not that the ministry isn't important. But if I don't have a family that's healthy, and if I don't have a family that, I, I, that, that is in a strong place and is falling apart, can I tell you the ministry suffers after that? That there is no ministry if there is no family, if it's falling apart. So my priority goes to my family. And then through that health, through that, through that the vitality of my family, I'm able to serve even better. So I, I do say no to some things. And I, I, I want you to hear that. So, so in this way, we need to understand that there's a flow, that there's a natural direction. But I see marriages disintegrate when suddenly there's an empty nest. Because all of the energy, all of that effort has been put into the kids And then when the kids are gone and the empty nest is there, they're like, all we have is each other. And what is there? Let me tell you, the empty nest should become the love nest. Our goal should be that our purpose is that when the, that the marriage keeps going and thriving after the kids are gone. After the kids are gone, our marriage keeps going. The second best thing you can do for your children after serving Jesus with all your heart is to have a rocking marriage. They should see that modeled for them, that rhythm modeled for them. Mom and dad going on dates. Mom and dad kissing. And they're like, ew! And you're like, drink it in! We should see this modeled in our lives, this rhythm laid out. In chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, then, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline. If you have a pen, if you're writing in a paper Bible, underline discipline or make a note in, in your Bible app, discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this is an interesting balance. Paul says, raise your children with discipline and instruction. But also don't provoke them to anger or in other translations, don't exasperate them. Don't exasperate your children. So you're supposed to discipline them and you're not supposed to exasperate them. So there's this tension we live in. Ultimately, our goal as parents is to raise children so that we can release them. That is our job. That is our goal. I preached a while back from Psalm 127, verses 3 through 4. It says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. And I don't know if you remember, Dave Pope shot some arrows for us, demonstrated shooting arrows. And luckily, he was a lot more accurate than I was anticipating. He, he didn't miss any, any times. So that was great. No one got hurt. It was very cool. But, uh, but it says, Children are like arrows. That means that they are meant to be released. Arrows are meant to be sent down range. You see, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Raise up a child in the way they should go. So we live in this tension, this balance between discipline and release. I like what Levi Lusco says and how he compares it to. He compares it to the gas and the clutch pedal in a car. How many of you know how to drive a manual transmission car? Awesome. It's a, it's a lost art. As you're, 
As you're driving a manual transmission car, some of us can think back to when we were learning and the stress of your parents sitting right next to you like, oh man. You let the clutch out until you feel the, the engines almost start to stall, right? And you're moving forward a little bit, then you give it a little feather of gas and you find that balance of, of giving it gas, giving it, and, and, and then, right? There's this balance of letting go and, 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 and also holding back and this, this balance of gas and clutch in a car. And then the same thing with parenting. We need to be releasing, but at the same time, disciplining and holding back and, and, and engaging this. And it's a, it's an interesting thing is because I've seen two extremes. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about. First of all, you've got the helicopter parents. They're just hovering over their kids all the time. Like, like, I, I can envision them sitting across the playground with binoculars, like making sure Jimmy doesn't get pushed down, bullied, anything happened wrong. Uh, they're still cutting up his chicky nuggies for him. Like, he's 15 years old. He can eat his chicken nuggets, right? There, there's, there's, the, there's the hovering parents, the, the helicopter parents. I, I saw an actual quote. This is a real quote from an employer that said, I had a mother call me to find out why her son didn't get the job. He's 40 and a lawyer. <laughs> At least he passed the bar. But hovering creates a hopelessness. It's a smothering effect. It doesn't allow children the opportunity to fail and to try again. It's not sending them. It's not releasing them. And we've seen, I, I think, increasingly this failure to launch in our society. Living in mom and dad's basement till near 30 or even beyond. Some, and, and, and then there's this, 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 this lack of, of launching. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got detached parenting. And I'm sure some of us have seen that. Where they just kind of shrug and go, kids will live and learn, right? Release them into the woods. We'll let the wolves raise them. They won't know until they experience it. Let them experience all that stuff. Or maybe they buy them a cell phone when they're in fifth grade. And they're like, well, you know, it keeps them out of my hair. And they're exposed to who knows what. It's a failure to protect and to guide. The Bible literally says that no discipline equals no love. This is a quote, and I dearly wish I could give... Uh, credit to the author. I don't know who this was. I looked it up. I tried and tried and tried to find where it came from, and I can't get, give credit to them. So I'm going to just say I, I wrote this. Um, but uh, th- listen to this quote. It says, There's a design in the world, and, it goes against, and, and to go against it brings natural consequences. If parents do not bring carefully controlled, unpleasant consequences into the children's lives, they will go out into the world and bring far more painful and harmful results onto themselves later. Inflicting minor sadness now avoids great despair later. If you do that when they are young, there is hope that the child will internalize your training and learn self-control. If you don't, you are a willing party to their death. And that is not a quote from that person. That is a quote from the book of Proverbs chapter 19. Those are strong words. Those are strong words. That you, a, a, a parent that does not bring discipline, you are actually a willing party to their death. I think of, I, I love watching true crime shows. And if someone is standing there when someone else gets murdered and they do nothing to stop it, and they aren't coerced, you know, in, in fear or anything like that, they are considered a willing participant. How could a parent be considered a willing participant in their child's death? Because we are called to discipline and to protect. And these strong words are saying, really, children... They may not say it, but they are craving boundaries. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel loved. I, we, we got a puppy recently, and all of the things we read said, crate train your puppy. 
at night put it in a crate. And I was like, that is so small, it's so cruel. But puppies actually appreciate that. They like, they, they have a den background, they like living in dens, and they feel safe and they feel protected when they're inside that. In the same way we think, how could I be so cruel to my children to put down these boundaries and to actually enforce them and to have to take away privileges and do all these things? I want them to live free. Children crave boundaries. It lets them know they're safe and they're protected. And every transmission... Every clutch and gas pedal is a little bit different, right? How many of you ever gotten a friend's car or a car you haven't driven before and you immediately kill it with the clutch? You're just like not used to the feel of it. Everyone's different. Every kid is different. Every, everything is a little different. You got you to gotta kind of play it by feel. There's a, an author or someone you probably undoubtedly have heard of named Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is a financial guru, right? But he wrote a book with his daughter uh, in, entitled Smart Money, Smart Kids. His daughter, was, her name was Rachel. Still is Rachel. She kept it. Um, <laughs> Rachel um, and him, he talks about his relationship with her in this book. He says, when she was 12 years old, they used an illustration of a rope and giving out slack, giving out line. And he says, when she was 12 years old, she went to uh, the movies. She asked if she could go to the movies with her friends. And they said, yeah, you can go to the movies with your friends. And so they dropped her off at the mall. And when she was there, her friend said, you know what, let's not go to the movie. Actually, you know what sounds fun is ice cream. And so they went somewhere else in the mall to ice cream. And they went later uh, to pick her up. And she wasn't there at the movie theater. And they were panicked. And finally, they found her. And they were like, you scared us. You, you told us you were going to be at the movie. She goes, I'm sorry, we forgot it. We went and got ice cream instead. And you know what they did with that line that they gave her for that movie? They drew it in a little bit. They said, okay. And so the next time she went to the, wanted to go to the movies... Uh, 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 it, it was uh, D- Dave Ramsey's wife said that sounds like a great idea I'd like to come and so she invited herself along that was part of shortening the rope right we're still going to the movies but I'm going to come along with you years later uh, Rachel was invited to a party at a friend's house in high school and so she went to the friend's house this party and a while later they, they got a call Dave got a call and it was Rachel and she said I, I was wondering if you'd come pick me up he said yeah is everything okay she said yeah someone got out a case of beer and, and just, I just didn't feel comfortable so I went to another room and just called and was hoping he'd pick me up he went and picked her up and when they got home they said here's lots of rope you earned all this rope and they gave her all kinds of rope you're like well done Wait, thank you for calling us they entrusted her with a lot more because she was responsible with it When she turned 18, she went to college, and her college was in another state. And they had a little ceremony with her there. He pulled out a piece of rope, and he said, Rachel, I want you to know that this rope isn't 250 miles long. But we have set rhythms, and we've entrusted you with all these things, and we've seen your responsibility, we've seen you growing, and now it's time for you to launch. This is your rope. And no longer was it them managing that, that managing it and all these things, but she was launched. They had they had they had led in in setting rhythms and setting uh, a, a guide for her and establishing these things. You see, family church is one of the only lasting investments that we can make, and we need to invest it well. We need to lead our families with purpose. We need to set a rhythm and a cadence in our home. And here is what it needs to be centered around. That Jesus is everything. Jesus at the center of it all. As for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. As for me and my house, we won't serve soccer. As for me and my house, we won't serve the NFL. As for me and my house, we won't serve ballet. Me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Psalm 127.1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. And that goes through establishing values. See, as we correct and as we train and as we lead as parents, it's because it doesn't line up with our values if we correct. We correct because it doesn't line up with our values. Now, here's the problem. If our commitments don't line up with our values, then there's a contradiction. And this is what I mean by that. School. Junior comes to you and says, I don't want to go to school today. Do you say, oh, you don't? Well, let's stay home. No, you say, school is a value for us. That's a contradiction. You are going to school, Junior. Out you go. Junior comes to you Sunday morning and says, I don't want to go to church. How many times do we say, well, that's your choice. I don't want to impose that on you. You just stay home. We have a value contradiction. Here's where we stand as a family. My kids don't have to have a relationship with Jesus. I can't force that on them. But while they're in our home, they have to come to church because we are a family that's planted in the house of the Lord. So Hosanna and I have determined that as for us in our house, we are going to serve the Lord. And that's the rhythm that we are demonstrating for our family. We're playing out. We're living. The boundaries have been set. Submit and serve one another, church. This morning, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for strong families. For rhythms and cadences in our families that set Christ as Lord in our families. That set apart deference for one another. It says, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to serve you. Even at the cost of my own rights, I'm going to honor you. So this morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close this service. Father, I pray right now for this congregation. That there would be healthy and intentional rhythms in our families. That we would lead our families with purpose, that we would set rhythms and cadences in our homes. And Father, that you would give us the ability to honor one another and serve one another. When conflict arises, that we would not let sin take hold, but we would address the conflict and in it draw even closer together. I pray for marriages in this room, marriages that have been on the rocks, marriages where where something else has taken precedence over. I pray right now that there would be a commitment to one another above all, other than you, Christ, that they would be the person that we cleave to, become one flesh with, that it would be that deep a relationship and that everything else would be informed through that in family. I pray for relationships with kids and parents, Lord, that have been broken. I pray, Father, that there would be healing in the mighty name of Jesus, restoration and wholeness. And God, where there needs to be amending, perhaps there have been some deep wounds, that this day would not go by without us going, that the sun wouldn't set without us going and restoring relationships that have been broken, perhaps over something so petty. Nothing is worth a broken relationship. No argument is worth a broken relationship with family. And Lord, I pray that this would be a moment of restoration and reconciliation with family. And we thank you for it, Jesus. Before I close, I want to give this opportunity. 
See reconciliation. Two parties that were split apart coming together. We were separated from Christ. We were, se- we were separated from God. There was no way we could know him. But Jesus came and he died for us so that we could know God in a new way. A way we could have never known before. Our sin had separated us. But Jesus came so that we could know the Father. And so this morning, I want to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or perhaps you want to recommit your life to him. If that's you in this room right now, can you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I never want this opportunity to go without giving you the opportunity to know the Father that is the greatest Father. The greatest Father that could ever be known. So if you want to give your heart to Jesus, can you raise your hand? All right. Lord, I pray with this church right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to seek and save the lost, that we are yours. I pray, Father, that you would restore those relationships. Continue to bring us back to you for those that have been far, Lord, as the prodigal son returned to the Father, Lord. Bring us back to you, we pray in your name. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I think that's amazing. You don't find too many pastors that are brave enough to speak on topics like this anymore. These aren't popular things. They're not easy things. And I just want to encourage you. If you're like me, I was one of the majority of the statistic that grew up without a dad, had no idea, became a dad, and was like terrified. I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't have anyone model it for me, but something I'm so thankful for was when I, when I became a Christian, the smartest thing I ever did was get around other men and say, teach me, show me. And so if you're here and you've come from a broken legacy and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I have no idea. Gather around. It's okay. That's what we're here for. The the Bible teaches that older men are supposed to come alongside younger men and older women come alongside younger women. That's the job of the church. So if you're here, don't feel broken. Don't feel hopeless. Know that we're here to support you. Amen. Uh, I want to push back a little bit against what Pastor Brent said. He said there's no such thing as a perfect marriage situation. Proverbs 14.4 tells us about a perfect marriage situation. It says, where there is no ox, the barn's clean. It's not dirty. But it says, but with the ox, with the ox comes much more uh, harvest. And so what it's telling us is, yeah, we can, we can avoid relationship, we can avoid responsibility, but we're never going to have the enjoyment and the fulfillment of that in our life. Amen. If you own an ox, you're going to have a mess. If you're in a family, it's going to get messy sometimes, but the greatest joy comes from that. Amen. Amen. An author that I love, his name is Jordan Peterson. Uh, he talks about uh, the best way to, to live your life, the best way to, to make a difference in your world. And I remember when I was in Minnesota, I had friends that were much smarter than me, much higher capacity. And I got invited to this thing. My friend's like, just come. It's just a party. And so I show up and I was like, dude, this isn't just a party. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you have like state senators here. And I showed up rocking a t-shirt. I was like, thanks, man. Thanks. And so we're gathered around and, and they're kind of going back and forth, talking about how they feel about the world and all this kind of stuff. And they're talking about how a lot of them feel hopeless. And they're going around saying, what do you look for in hope? And my friend stands up and he's like, uh, what I look for in hope is my family. And they're like, explain that, explain that. He said this, I know that if I just take the time to raise good children, then my good children can raise good children and I can impact the world by creating more good families. Guys, if all of us together got together and said, hey, we don't care about anyone else, but what we're going to do is take the responsibility the Lord has given us and run with it and be faithful, we'll change the world. We'll change the world. The world is changed by godly 
families. Amen? Amen. Well, I get the awesome privilege of taking our Connect card. So if you have your phone, if you're on the Bible app already, uh, it's right there, your connection card link at the top. If you are old school, I'm there with you. There is a physical copy, a tangible copy on paper right in front of you. Let's make sure to fill that out. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if this message spoke to you, make sure to let us know. Um, We would love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. We just don't know how. Sadly, I'm not a mind reader. So if you're just like, hey, Ty knows exactly what I need. It's not the case. Sorry, I I know that lets some of you down, but it's not the case. So make sure you write down on there what God's speaking to you, how we can serve you, how we can pray for you, how we can celebrate with you. While we're doing that, I have a few announcements I am excited to share with you, and they're on our handy-dandy Bible app, so I'm going to read through them. Uh, I was told to share two, but I'm going to share four because I'm extra like that, so here we go. Kids Team Training, October 10th. When is that? That's next Sunday. It's going to be after our second gathering. If you haven't gotten involved with our new kids' ministry, you need to do so. I'm going to brag on Pastor Charity. Uh, I actually interned for Pastor Charity when I was a youngin back in the day. It was a blast. The kids love it. You'll love it. Can I tell you, it's going to be a great time. So if you're on the fence and you're like, I don't know where to serve, join our kids team. It's going to be awesome. Secondly, we have our women's fall event on October 23rd. There's going to be crafts. There's going to be one of those fancy charcuterie boards. So I already bought like a wig and everything. I'm sneaking in because I love those security boards. So uh If you're interested, which I know all of you ladies are, it's October 23rd. It costs $10 at the door, but they need you to register early because they need to know how much to prepare for. There's going to be some crafts. It's going to be a great time. Next, we have our Seniors Hymn Sing on October 30th. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Pastor Todd and Chris are going to be sharing stories of their travels. We're going to sing some hymns together. There's going to be a 1970s trivia game. I mean, I've heard about the 1900s and stories and legends and such, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, it's going to be a great time. I might even stop by because, I mean, come on, that sounds like a blast. And lastly, October 31st, we have our dress-up. Is that what it's called? Dress-up Sunday? Something like that. What is it? Costume Sunday. Costume Sunday. So our kids are all going to dress up. They're going to go upstairs. They're going to get candy. Uh, I'd encourage you parents, if you decide to dress up, that's awesome. But guys, please don't show up in a leather Catwoman soup. It's just awkward. I've done it. It's okay. I'm embarrassed with you. But let's not do that. Uh, sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> I'm like totally losing my train of thought. Um, but we are excited for our kids to have this opportunity to come into a safe environment, have some fun, do some, some costumes, and get some goodies. It's going to be a great time. Well, let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to uh, continue in worship. Our ushers, as you come forward, let me pray for offering. God, right now, I thank you for who you are and what you continue to do. I pray that we would be faithful to you as we hear about being faithful in our families. God, I pray that we would be, we would see our families as our first ministry, that we would disciple our children, that we would love on our spouse, that we would lead our families well. God, we thank you for who you are and what you'll continue to do. In your name we pray, amen.